Hi, and welcome to The Cloud Show. I'm Jez Back, and with me is my trusted co-host, David Organ. Hello. So today, we'll be looking at the news and also about today's topic, which is IT debt in cloud. Now, with us, we've got two great guests. We have two Matts. Well, we have Matt Watts, who is the Director of Technology and Strategy for EMEA in NetApp. And also, we have Matt Lovell, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Centic. Gentlemen, welcome. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Excellent. So what we'll do is have a quick look at the news and then we'll have a bit of a chat about that. And then what we'll uh, do is then get into um, technical debt and IT debt in the cloud. But obviously, we want you to be involved in the conversation as well. So do get involved. We're on Twitter at CompareTheCloud. And do use the hashtag TheCloudShow. So what have you got in the news for us then, David? Right. So in the news this week, we have Deloitte announces its tech trends for 2018. And they've given it a snappy title again. A snappy title. It's okay, here we go. The Symphonic Enterprise. Oh, harmonious. Harmonious indeed. Uh, yes, so they have just released their latest tech trends and they talk about various things, including technical debt gets mentioned. Okay, nice, nice link. similar to IT debt, but we'll discuss that later, I'm sure. Uh, in their publication, they relate, uh, relate the subject of this show, or rather the technical two things we're talking about in IT debt. But they also go Digital transformation is bringing unprecedented change across industries and around the globe. IT. So things like Each blockchain, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, even virtual and augmented reality comes into it. And they're talking about how this is coming together in an organization so that really you're looking across business horizontals, but also industrial verticals to create this sort of um, new enterprise that uh, has to keep moving and stay on top of technology. That's a nice follow-on from last week, obviously, with the predictions we had yes. you know, about industry verticals. They were talking about that last week. They were also talking about blockchain yeah, and yes. where things are working there. They are talking about AI. So you know, uh, there seems to be sort of following the major trends that are going out there, which is kind of interesting. Yes, well, they've, they've picked up on all the, all the key pieces that have been discussed a lot lately. So we'll, we can look into that in a bit more detail. Um, they, of course, being Deloitte, bundle things up into interesting terms. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got uh, the new core, the no-collar workforce, and digital reality. Okay, guys, what do you think? You know, blockchain being used out there, I mean, they gave some good use case about the port of Rotterdam, you know, and uh, also about people using it uh, as social media users themselves to control their own content. You know, what's your sort of view about where the trends are going and uh, you know, the whole idea of the no-collar workforce, humans and Machines, yeah, machines working, working in concert. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they always have. <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's becoming. Uh, it, it's just. It's evolving as all these things do. Uh, I mean, the blockchain thing is is really interesting because there's so much hype and confusion around it all at the moment. You know, some people. The minute you mention blockchain, they think of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. which is yeah. just uh, an implementation on top of it. Um, and we're starting to see a lot of newer technologies coming through. We were talking before the show about Hashgraph which yeah. is kind of another form of distributed ledger technology. So I think, um, I think people shouldn't get too hung up on blockchain. I think what people have got to think about is that there will be a future where we have distributed ledger type technologies of some shape or form. Um, current implementations are a little bit limited, have some, you know, you know how long it, how much resource it takes to, 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 to sort of to put something onto the blockchain or to take something off of it again, or to read something from it. Um, but that's definitely going to happen. And, um, and it's no-collar workforce. I guess this is why you pay the analysts the big bucks, right? They come up with this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality is is that, and, and I don't want to steal Matt's thunder, but I know he's going to talk about it, it's, it's a lot of it around automation. 
yeah. is, you know, are we going to get to a point where, you know, more and more IT starts to take over some of the, the, the sort of the more traditional, more manual kind of workloads and tasks that we've been undertaking. So it doesn't surprise me, some nice flowery language, but I think they're kind of picking up on the right topics. Okay, brilliant. And what about you? I think identifiers are all well and good, but let's not lose the sight here in terms of communication between employees, whether we start to automate that artificial intelligence kicking in, it's the value that comes, you know, whether you know, you're inter-organisation or between partners, it is still the communication that's so important. And we shouldn't get too hung up, I think, on all of the branding, I say all the flowery languages. Matt points out, I think what, what is most important is actually the value that's coming from these initiatives. Organisations are now seeing the value of blockchain, it's enabling us to think differently. So no collar workforce, absolutely, we're breaking down those barriers. That's the essence of what I believe Deloitte and many others are saying. Organisations can see the value, this is how they move forward. Yeah, it's interesting because last week, uh, on the last show, we were talking about um, how the, the outcomes are really, really important. And they're not technology outcomes, they're business outcomes. And that's also enabled by ecosystems. And I think lots of people are getting very interestingly tied up about what ecosystems mean. Does it mean businesses working together to form a product to go to market with, or do they mean ecosystems of humans and technology working together, or do they mean, you know, there's a lot of variations of this, and I think people are getting too hung up on these terms. The ecosystem is something that generates an effect, and you know, effects-based outcomes are the thing that we should be talking about, and I think this is where perhaps industry is not helping our customers as well as we could. And they also raise a, a key point, which is breaking down the traditional silos. Mm. Um, a lot of people have grown up in businesses and they become quite blinkered. And this type of new wave of technology is allowing a new way of thinking. It's about how you drive both the mission objectives of the business, but also from the bottom, help improve efficiency, help make people more productive in what they do. And ultimately, everyone is satisfying a customer somewhere yeah. in the value proposition. Well, it's interesting because one of the things I was following uh, and talking with, um, with some other people recently was about one of the biggest challenges for cloud now is about a enterprise entomology and taxonomy. And actually getting that stuff to start working, I think is now one of the biggest problems I've got going on. I'm sure that's something that's quite close to your heart. Absolutely. <laughs> so the pivot I've said is, is data-based rather than an up technology or platform based we've enabled all of that the technology is there there are so many different options available to people it's how you bring that together how you're accelerating your own organization but it's business process change alongside the data which is now the focal point it absolutely has to be the focal point how organizations are then breaking those processes down to think differently and sometimes they have to go back to the drawing board as we're finding across the across the different verticals that we work in absolutely i think um and you sort of touched on it. I think most, a lot of people do fear change, uh, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges as we move in, as we continue to see this acceleration in the pace of change. Um, it's how do you ensure that people who've been in your organisation for some time, who have a, a role that they're used to, they're comfortable with, how are you bringing them forward? How are you encouraging them forward? Um, and you know, I think it, I'm a big believer that if you show somebody how where they could be is so much better than where they currently are, that they will go on that journey with you. Um, but I think that's something we're going to have to focus on more than ever before um, because new technologies will fundamentally change what people's roles and responsibilities are. And that's not a bad yeah. thing. It, you know, it's an opportunity, but we'll have to, we're going to have to encourage people on that, that path because it's, it's not going to be easy. Some people will not like that sort of change. Absolutely. Speaking of change, I hear Google are up to stuff with their, with their networks <laughs> and things. 
Well, uh, before we get on to that one, there's another Google-related story I wanted to bring up, and that is that they have just awarded their largest bug bounty ever. So this is the story that a Chinese researcher named Guang Gong uh, has discovered a security flaw in Google's latest phone, the Pixel 2, and received a total payout of $112,500 for that particular piece of information. Nice chunk of change. Yes, we're not quite sure exactly what the exploit was because Google have released a patch, so it is fixed, but they are pursuing this strategy of awarding hackers um, to find bugs uh, before the, they get exploited for illegitimate means. And I think it's really interesting they're now being so open with regards to how they're using this expert tease within the communities to actually drive through. I mean, that this particular organization and individual are experts in the, the Pixel Google platform and they're they're well known to be testing this, you know, and giving a different perspective to mm. organisations, either Facebook didn't, didn't or Microsoft. They to own crack a, an original Pixel phone in less than sixty seconds. Absolutely, that's right. Absolutely, uh, but, but which resulted in a prize in itself of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Well, there you go. Nice way to make a buck. <laughs> it, it is, but they're leveraging great community support to actually, you know, make these devices more secure. What's mm. most important to us as end users of these devices is proving the security and having that additional validation is obviously now really important to you know the Facebooks, to the Microsofts, to the Amazons, etc. to prove the authentication, you know, process is secure. Here's your independent stamp for this. These are organizations that are helping us move forward. So they're harnessing that power to great effect, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it sends out a pos a really positive message when you've got someone like Google who are saying, you know, if you if there are people out there with mm. advanced skills and they want to, to help us with the security of our systems, we'll pay them to do it. I think that's a great message to yeah. put out there. So I I'm, I'm completely agree that... Uh, pay to break, pay know, to fix. Yeah, and yeah. We've, had, I mean, we've had bug bounties for years, right? It's not, it's not a new thing, but I like the fact that the amount of the bounty seems to be increasing, and companies like Google and whatever are really getting behind it, and they're advertising when somebody finds but this, it. But yeah. this, this appears to be a lot of money, and it, it is in, in true terms, but relatively speaking, compared to a bad press article or bad press resulting oh. from something that has either been covered up, we've seen a lot of uh, ransomware attacks where companies have tried to cover it up and pay off the attackers. Or even this the perception of covering up, so like the Intel chip thing, is that one of the biggest problems is the perception of covering it mm. up. And you know, the whole you know, Apple was another Google yeah. researcher yeah. who identified one of those flaws. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think it's great that People are aware these things are fallible. Uh, code's getting more advanced. So why not bring it all above into the light of day and deal with it as and when it happens and hopefully incentivize these very clever individuals to come to them first as opposed to you know, being more nefarious. Mm, absolutely. So what else is Google up to? Well, this is the second story you touched on earlier. So staying with Google, uh, the fight for the cloud dominance is taking place under the oceans this time. So Google are planning to add three new undersea cables next year as part of a broader effort to improve and expand its cloud computing services. So these, Google has invested in about 11 undersea cables already, and the usual approach to this is to form a consortium because these things cost a fortune. And that consortium might include other uh, cloud players like Facebook or telecoms uh, providers. But in this case, one of these cables that they're running from LA down to Chile 
is being solely funded by Google. Ooh, so they're doing it on their own? They are, and perhaps it's, uh, it's an effort to try and capitalize on the fast-growing cloud market in South and Latin America. So what, what's your take on that? Really interesting, because previously it's been incredibly difficult going through different territories to get permissions, etc. That's why the partnerships you know, are, are a fantastic way of moving this forward and sharing the enormous cost of doing these projects. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, when Google announced this, they actually said the measure of this enables Google to run X million more Google Hangouts. So the measure of it is actually in real-time collaboration. That's why they want these you know, additional parts of capacity, as well as obviously for resilience across uh, parts of the world that are not as well connected at this moment in time. Certainly in the Southern Hemisphere, they announced it with the... Uh, the specific um, light core network, the PLCN, uh, a couple of years ago that went into Australia, which has not been as well served as other areas of the globe. And this one going in, obviously, into uh, South Americas. And therefore, it's really enabling you know, greater resilience in the southern hemisphere and different routes by which they can prioritize and control traffic. So really positive step forward, I think. Yeah, I'd love to know kind of what discussions led them to this place because, you know, that's a big decision to say we're a cloud provider, a search engine, we're all the things that Google are, and now we want to become a cable company. Yeah. Um, so, so I can imagine there were some pretty intense meetings when they were making that, that business case of actually if we can't get this from a, a provider, a telco provider, we're going to do it ourselves because it will unlock however much opportunity um, in this new area. Well, but that's I, I fascinating. Google have really worked out that the only way how they're, they're going to really break into that whole cloud war, you know, the big vendors, you know, the big four or five vendors, is they've got to own the whole process from front to back in order to give the prime quality service that clients absolutely demand now. I mean, customers demand you know, flawless service, or oh, they're howling. You know, it's kind of the, uh, I buy an app for 99p, and therefore I expect it to be absolutely perfect. You know, whereas freemium, ah, it's all like, you, know, you, you kind of expect a few things. But when, when now people are using this stuff for their, their livelihoods, for their day, you know, the way how they live, and also for the way how they work, yeah, they've got to, you've got to own and you've got to control this thing from end to end to be successful. But it's also about speed of change, I'm sure, because what they're saying is we don't want anybody to slow us down. If we yeah. want to affect a change yeah. and the dependency people have got, do we have to go through and work with the other partners yeah. in, you know, in, the, in the construct? This enables them to think differently and, and act and probably react a, a lot faster than they possibly could do in the partnerships. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a good little hit on the news but we're here and we're going to talk about the main part of the show which is about IT debt. Now IT debt is different from technical debt in my view. Now there's a chap called Wal Cunningham back in 1992 who defined technical debt uh, and that was linked to the way how software was developed in code and the costs that were incurred about keeping up with such things. Now I would talk about IT debt in a different way. IT debt actually covers the entire IT landscape. So everything from the financial costs it incurs, infrastructure, networks, data, development, security, skills, service, all across that whole piece, that is where IT debt lands, or you could call it technology debt. And so there's a really interesting conversation that says, what should CIU, CIOs do about it? Is there a reality that says, that thing has existed and it's just a problem which is always there and I kind of fix it as we go along? Or is it because the rate of technology change, as we've discussed throughout this program already in the in things that are going on in the news, is now goes to the forefront of their mind and their investments with the board. So, gentlemen, 
I would like to get your views. Where do we think we are about IT debt versus technology debt, also technical debt? I think certainly three or four years ago, there was a lot of reference in, in technical debt centered around certain aspects of technology. So the mainframe was held it up as a, as a pivot of uh, legacy or technology that there's lots of organizations that have grown non-organically that have acquired these assets and consolidation is, is a really big pressure keeping the lights on for a lot of IT departments and that linkage to the business is now broken down three or four years on so we're seeing IT debt now come to the forefront which is inclusive of the business processes the way that organizations are built their organizational structure the way they're communicating the roles that people have all of that is now affecting how an organization becomes more agile, thinks differently, provides a different customer end user experience and the outcomes. And I think that's why IT debt is so important to break down. It's freeing up those IT departments to focus on the priority issues to the business, not just managing out the legacy platforms, which have a cost, but it might not be as beneficial to the so business. So you think it should be a primary focus for the CIO? I think it is is a, a organisational wide role. It's not just for the CIO to yeah. resolve that problem. Absolutely not. I agree, Matt. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating one because I think uh, it, it sort of almost reminds me of the early discussions we had around cloud, which was you know people saying we're, we're going to the cloud for everything. It's well, no, you're not, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that you do that has no place being in the cloud. It's applications, infrastructures, architectures that were never designed for that. So you know, stop thinking that everything's going to go to the cloud. It isn't. And I think it's the similar sort of thing with this kind of IT tech, this technical debt. Mm. You're going to have to make decisions as to are there some things that we've got that actually, even though we could modernize them, we could bring them forward. You know, is it actually a multi-year project where we say, you know what, let's just leave it alone. You know, let's just keep it there. And over the course of you know many years, we'll start to sort of architect it out. Um, and, th and this is going to be affected by so many things. Talking about mainframes. I was chatting to um, one of the, the big banks in the city, and, um, and they said there is a really good business case to get rid of their mainframe. And I said, so why haven't you done it? And he said, because it's about a five-year project. And he said, and do you know what the average tenure of a CIO is in a major bank? <laughs> he said, about two years. Yeah. So no one will take yeah. that project on because it won't be, it'll be incredibly expensive and it won't see any results until somebody else's yeah. tenure or somebody else takes over. It's rather so like the Boris bike, isn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. Ken Livingston actually did all the bikes, but Boris took all the credit, you know? Yeah, so you yeah, it's exactly perfect. the same thing. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I think it's really interesting because when you look at the whole conversation about IT and you talk about sort of going through and leaving stuff to wither and die on the vine, and then replacing it with other types of technology, the reality is that you, you could I mean, look at the whole API story and containers story, and you can take any of the current sort of big trend conversations. All the things that people are starting building up, which are you know, the, the on vogue way of doing it today, within 18 months, some of these things are seen as obsolete, and more, yeah. more than obsolete, that they're now flawed. And so it's a real big bet every time you do this. And CIOs have a real challenge. And this is why I agree with you about the organizational bit is, where do you place your bets? How, how do you place your bets? And how much debt can you tolerate as you go along? And I think that's the real question is, how much pain are you willing to take in certain areas in order to maintain the quality of service? And it all goes back down to business outcomes. What is the outcome we're trying to achieve? And this, you know, this goes back to a conversation we had about ecosystems. What, what's the right grouping of things I need to put together to create the set of business outcomes, which is right for the business, not right for my technology organization. But, but IT debt is naturally now going to accelerate because the focus is on 
the rate of change increasing, the number of projects, the asks of the business, the involvement of IT, the creation of value, all of that is now building up. So it's important for organisations to really understand the value to the business of these changes and therefore across the business to understand how it organises and reorganises itself and actually how it manages both platform application and data. Mm -hmm. in the but also traditionally uh, IT was seen as a cost centre. It was um, something that supported the business in what it did. But today it's now shifting quite considerably towards technology and the delivery of their services being what the business does. Whether no matter what industry you're in, technology seems to be intrinsically involved in the delivery of your services or looking after your customers or some or all of those touch points with your end users. And that's not exclusive to the enterprise, that's all the way down to the, the, the SMB and the and micro the business. And employees as well. Yeah. Employees expect certain ways of working. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you could just look at, you know, small businesses that are in Devon somewhere, you know, who, are, you know, they might be a manufacturing company making, you know, wooden things or metal things, but fundamentally the way how they're selling is e-commerce. A lot of them are doing it web-based selling and that stuff. Technology is absolutely a central part of the way how they live and the way how they do business. And they're doing it real time as well. So it's a case of actually the tweak that we're making, you know, how do we improve this? How do we enhance it? How do we attract and influence more? And that's feeding through the rest of the processes supporting the organisation. So what do you think that the cloud service providers, the MSPs, the consultancies should be doing to, to help people about IT debt and how that affects their adoption, migration, integration and running of cloud services? And there's, wow, there's, there's, a, there's a, a question, question with so many, oh, yeah. so many got to uh, aspects and facets <laughs> to it. So, I mean, I guess, I guess I th one of the things I tend to think about, and if I'm talking to, to a larger company that runs a lot of their own services, sometimes just asking a very basic question, which was, if you could start again, what would you do and what wouldn't you do? And just starting from that point, because if you were starting your own business today, would you? Would, let's be honest about it. You wouldn't be going. I need to buy an exchange server and set up my email <laughs> system. No, of course you wouldn't. You'd you'd be going out and saying, where could we get this from as a service? You'd look at software as a service companies, probably not just for your communications tools, probably also for some of your business tools. You'd go to a Salesforce or you'd go to an SAP or you would go out and look to, to consume some of those things as a service much much sooner than looking at building that for yourself. And I think effectively that's really where organizations have to start focusing. It's the pace of technology change, the pace of application change is at a rate that we have never seen before and it's going to get faster. Yeah. Tools that 18 months ago we were all talking about Hadoop and Cloudera and Hortonworks well, that's table stakes, you know. Mm -hmm. We're only 18 months further on, and we don't have those conversations. That's kind of done, and we're on again. Yeah. And the pace of physical change, you know, we've gone from 100 gig SSDs to right now there's a, there is actually a 32 terabyte SSD, which we've qualified. We're just not shipping at the moment because it's too expensive. Next year, 64, the year after 128, mm -hmm. year after that, 256. That's a quarter of a terabyte of storage, a quarter of a petabyte of yeah. storage in something the size of a cigarette packet. You know, and we're going to have to get used to that as well. Um, so when companies are looking at, we're going to buy technology and write down over four years, you can't. Because by the end of four years, probably by the end of two years, it's actually becoming commercially unviable to continue to run that. So we have to think differently about where we get applications so they can keep up, mm -hmm. often go to someone mm -hmm. else, go to a provider. We have to think differently about how we acquire technology such that we can keep up with the pace of technology change. So no simple answer, but we can't 
ignore this. We can't continue to keep doing what we've always done when the pace of change is accelerating almost exponentially. Absolutely. What's your take? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the way that we now um, purchase vehicles, a, a lot more of it is through flexible service arrangements because technology is moving so quickly in vehicles, improving efficiency, safety, functionality, driving experience, etc. That's how we're now choosing. So we've got the flexibility. People buying cloud services because it's accelerating other business change initiatives, digital transformations are taking place. I think the challenge is, and we've seen it in uh, the car phone warehouse stats, you know, organizations are obviously promoting the new technology, but technology in most people's handsets, smart devices, etc., is sufficient for what they need. It's applications and it's data storage that's then going to drive, you know, perhaps the change of a device or an upgrade. I thought it was for Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, look how quickly that craze came and, came and went. Came and went. <laughs> Absolutely. Biggest yeah. thing in the world for a very short period of time. Want, yeah. want and need. And, and again, yeah. it's looking at how value is being created in these new generations of applications, what's driving that behavior. We're still not getting rid of, of data. It might have value. It might be too difficult to determine yeah. the value. So we storage because actually the rate of data storage growth is still exponential it's not slowing down we're still filling it and it's still too complicated to yeah. archive and, and it's really I mean you talked about the, the the way in which technology is, is is growing and that's not just in the way how the applications and that sort of stuff it's also about infrastructure stuff like networks 5g as as the pipe suddenly opens up with 5g with the difference between 4 and 5g tele telephony networks and the, the data you can consume that space that vacuum is going to be filled with the, the way in which applications are going to be delivered. They're going to be so much more data hungry. Why? Because it's available. Yeah. yeah. And suddenly that's going to bring a whole new dynamic. So we talk about automation things, but yeah, very things close to your heart. It says, hang on. So you're going to have a whole bunch of automation with machine learning. I know people say it's AI inside phones, but more machine learning. Yeah. But you know, with that all happening in there and then connecting up onto cloud services where there will be some real AI and there will be lots more ML, you know, machine learning you know, aspects to that. It's, there's going to be a whole dynamic that goes with how that data you know, goes on. So what's your view about managing data debt in this? Because as we go through here, much more data is going to start happening. Yeah. I mean, up in, the thing is that we always get to a point where we think actually the data is growing faster than the media that we've got available to us to store it. Um, and then the, the, the technology takes a leap, you know, because um, if you go back three or four years ago, we were going from, you know, 100 gig SSD to 200 to 400 to 800. That's pretty slow progress. We're still doubling, but it's, it doesn't feel a lot. And now suddenly we were at, you know, four terabyte, eight terabyte, 16, 32, 64, one. So suddenly people, there was a pressure, I think, as we made that transition to this new sort of media type because the capacities were smaller. We had it. You know, if you think about when our iPods went from the 60 gig little hard drives to what, what was the original one, like 4 gig or 8 gig or whatever it was when the original SSDs yeah, came out. Yeah, I think out. the original was 4 we, gig, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. And we iPod made compromises. Oh, yeah, yeah, there were two. That's right. Yeah. And we made compromises. We, got, we really thought about, well, what am I going to put on it? What's important to store? What isn't? Because I've now got so much less. We don't worry about that now because the typical iPhone has 256 gigs. We, and I think we're, we go through these periods where people go, oh, we need to worry about it because it's costing us a lot of money to store it. And then technology starts to sort of catch up and overtake efficiencies, capacities, and we stop worrying about it so much. I think it will change. Um, I think there will become a point when we start to unlock the networks, you know, open up the, the bandwidth that's, that's there. Um, 
And when we start thinking about the types of data that we want to get hold of and we want to consume, we're going to have to think about what kind of controls, what sort of policies do we put in place. But what should CIOs do about aged data? I mean, they generate tons and tons. So you, you have um, you know, a, 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 some retail shop that collects tons and tons and tons of customer data, consumer data over two, three years and life moves on, and they've got this aged data, which is now, not only is it aging, but also it's on platforms which are becoming rapidly obsolete. You know, what, what should CIOs be doing about this? I think they've got to be more aggressive in terms of, has the data been touched, and creating an assessment matrix to look at the value in the data. We're, we're sitting here, so we're talking about 5G networks. Within 12, 18 months, we're going to see, as long as it's a, a uniformed rollout of 5G, you know, for, for all rural areas, as well as obviously conurbations to gain the benefit of it, actually streaming medical support information, you know, improving the experience using that smart device, you know, in terms of medical support, educational support, etc. Those services are there. The data that generates is exponentially larger. Mm -hmm. So it's what we're going to do with all of this additional data, you know, whether it's in video, whether it's in stream format, and actually preparing ourselves to manage that. That the heritage data, et cetera, does it have value? We need to be far more aggressive in policing that, understanding the value to the organization, and obviously moving that out to an appropriate platform. Yeah. So what's your last word on IT debt, Matt? So somebody needs to take responsibility. And I think we've been in this situation for many, many years now, especially with data, where the business goes, well, that's up to IT to look after the data. And IT is saying, well, no, we're just the custodians of it. It's not our data. We'll look after it. And at the moment, the business just creates more and more and more and more of it. And IT spends more and more and more in order to store it. And the simple reality is the responsibility has to transfer back. If it's the business and areas within the business creating it, needing it, and using it, then there should be some sort of tax that they should actually pay. They should come up with or they should be responsible for some of the IT debt. And at the moment, they're not in most organizations. And until that changes, when, like we've said, data will underpin everything in this new world. Everything will be defined by data. The applications, the, pol the policies, the rules, the automation, the future world, software-defined data center. If it's defined by software, it's defined by data. So it cannot just be that IT is responsible for that. There has to it has to go back into the business and people have to take responsibility for what data they keep, what data they don't keep, um, and, and how much that's going to cost them going forward. Simply, it's a board responsibility. The board, the company, the business, it's got to get their hands around the problem, it's got to take the problem, it's got to define an organisational wide response to the problem. It's Brilliant. part of the competitive landscape now, really. Yeah. If you yeah. want to compete against challenges that are popping up, taking advantage of the new technology, delivering new services, even the customer base shifting towards the millennials and the way in which they want to consume things, the richness of the content and quality of service they're now demanding is very different to often what we grew up with and our perspective on the internal system requirements for enterprises. So we, we grew up with an idea where someone on your handheld device, you have a video conference on the other side of the world with science fiction, you'd never have happened. You're still Star yeah. Trek, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> well, we said earlier on that actually, you know, we talk, we talk about mobile phones, and actually the feature probably people use the least on their mobile phone is the phone feature, <laughs> because yeah. actually it's all the apps that are more important. So, you know, that's, that again shows that generational shift um, that, that affects everything. Brilliant. So I think that we can really wrap up here. Couple of key points. Firstly, I think we agree that it is a board responsibility to manage uh, IT and technology debt in the organization in order for them to maintain competitive advantage and also remain relevant 
in the business place. The other one is the CIOs, we believe, should actually be putting this to the forefront of their mind, especially around the management, control, and use of data. That's it for this time. This time. Uh, right, that's it for this show. Uh, thanks very much. What do you think? We'd like to hear your views. Do get in touch with us. We are on at Compare the Cloud, uh, and do use the hashtag, the Cloud Show. Thanks very much. Thank you, Matt, Matt, David, and have a good day. And thanks for watching, if indeed you still are.